When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When Diplomacy Fails presents Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Hello and welcome to Hello when and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails A project five years in the making The Franco-Prussian War the Seven Years War Of the When Diplomacy Fails Special on Napoleon The Crimean War to When Diplomacy Fails Special on World War One, Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails Special on the Thirty Years' War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails. Remastered. History friends, welcome to another remastered talk episode. This time we're looking at the Crimean War. Sean and I sat down five years ago to look at the Crimean War. We had a great time. We had a really, really good time. And I think, well, maybe it's not the most edited talk episode that I've remastered, but there's a few things in here that were in the original that aren't in here anymore, such as my somehow ability to mispronounce the word hegemony. I don't understand. I used to call it Hegemony. don't ask me why, but it's embarrassing and annoying and I'd rather forget about it, so I'm being honest here and letting you know about it, just in case you go, ooh, is that, but you, you changed it, you, do, you don't say hegemony anymore. Yes, that's because I'm trying to pretend it never happened, and it never happened. Another thing that definitely never happened is when I said that the borders of the Ottoman Empire went to India. That never happened at all, and you can know that it never happened because it's not even in this podcast. How about that? Alrighty, so I hope you enjoy this remastered talk episode. Maybe let me know, maybe let Sean know, if you can find him, wherever he is. Tell us how you feel about it. Hope you're enjoying the remastered Five Weeks to Run Wild. I certainly am. You guys are really responding in force, and I love it. I love you all, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Back on the podcast, and my guest as always is Sean. Say hello, Sean. 
Hey guys, thanks once again, Zach, for having me on the show. Once again, it's an absolute pleasure, Sean. Um, the I've often been told how wonderful these talk episodes are, but I think people forget that I'm only one half of the talk episode. The talk episodes would not be as special as they are if we didn't have Sean along for the ride with us. So well, hey, that's thank me. you, Sean. Thanks. That's your that's your shout out right there. Yeah, shout out. Oh, uh, like me on uh, Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. I do have a Twitter, so you can find me. Uh, and uh, you know encourage my music career it's really good it's so wonderful you will all love me actually i'm I'm not that great at guitar so yeah anyway back to you know normal stuff because yeah. that was a terrible plug i'm not it was even, really awful plug. I'm, I'm really not i'm not i don't, don't even you need to rehearse music. these kinds of plugs I'm sorry speaking of plugs be fit if you're looking for ways to support get in contact with or inquire about this podcast be fit is the best way to do it by far and now what is be fit what is BFIT, Sean? Well, all I remember is the B, so blog. WDFpodcast.blogspot.ie yes. is where you can find that. And the there's also. is important because he's Irish. Yes. Not English. Not, not English. Scottish, not not British. Not British. Definitely not British. No. There's no. a history there, which there I won't go into. E is for email, WDFpodcast at hotmail.com. F is for Facebook, where you can like the Facebook page. Or if which you, you want, do, yes, and go to the History Podcasters. Yes, Facebook the History page. Podcasters page, which is actually taking off really, really well. And mm. now, if especially if you look at it right, the past few episodes I've been plugging the History Podcast page. Jordan Harbour, lovely guy, does the Twilight Histories podcast. Definitely should check that out if you hadn't already. It's brilliant. But after me doing it for like three weeks, he does it once in his podcast. Suddenly, we have thirty new members, and I'm like, ah. Oh. But seriously, the group is really, really good. And if you want to talk to like. The History of World War Two podcast guy, the History of Byzantium guy, the and Zach regularly puts up stuff asking your opinion. Yeah, and, it's uh, a great yeah. way to get in contact with. Uh, all it's of a us. good way to to get to know the podcasters. Exactly and the reason they're doing it. And yeah, all that stuff. Hmm. Also, Sean is on there. So, oh, well, uh, <laughs> I I don't have any sort of presence. Uh, I'm sure if I said hello. I'd, I'd get a who are you reception. Oh, you so, could uh, you could introduce yourself with the star yeah, of the yeah. co-star of the oh, talk episodes. Of course, yeah. I could. Well, it is I your... have a grand total of five episodes. That's to my true. Name. You do. They're yes. out there. Anyway, mm. other parts of Be Fit I is for iTunes, where you can rate the podcast or very review the important. podcast. Very important yeah. because it makes ratings. me appear more famous than I actually am, which yeah. is very very and nice. Ratings will get him onto the What's Hot page. So. Yes, and that means that more people will see it in turn. And then uh, T is for tell a friend, which of course is, well, not even a friend, just tell somebody. You don't even have to tell a friend. Run out onto the street right now, like, unplug your earphones, turn to the guy next to you and go, listen to this podcast, man, it is good stuff. And, like, leave it at that. Don't tell him anything else. Put your earphones back in. He could, he'll could. he probably get up and move, yeah. which is what you want, so you can put your bag there. Yeah, you know? of course. So I'm actually helping you get a better spot on <laughs> yeah, the bus, car, yeah. or... Wherever. Where, park bench. Yeah, like You can exactly. scare away all those pe- pigeons. Definitely tell the pigeons to listen to this podcast. You know, people won't think you're crazy, but it'll make the pigeons go. Yeah, make the pigeons... Yeah, okay. Anyway, um... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, now we're going to actually start um, that, like, really long plug there. Might have might seem distracting, but actually, it was all part of the plan, of yes. course. Uh, okay, so, um, the rise of the Ottoman Empire. Let's let's start from there. Okay, um, uh, yeah. The, the Ottomans, they don't get really much of a backstory. That's my 
They don't get much of a backstory. No, you they just, don't. You just put them in there going, oh, they're failing, oh, they're dying, yeah. and everybody wants to keep them alive mm-hmm. or push them down. There is, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I I, wanted, I did actually want to go into this, but obviously didn't have time in the other episode. Mm. There are three basic stages of the Ottoman Empire. The first is the rise and the growth, where they basically take over a lot of territory in a very short space of time. Yeah. And then there's a stagnation, which is when they and basically are they actually Turks? Are they the Turkish? They are Turks. Yes. Um. Yeah. The the reason why we call originating them... in modern day Turkey. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Well. The reason why we call them the Ottomans is because of the name of the certain tribes that would eventually take over. Like, it's like it's very easy to compare them to when the Roman Empire was there. The tribes that would eventually take over in the east and form what was first the Seleucid Empire, and then there was the Parthian Empire. And then there was the um, Sassanid Empire. And those were all the result of different tribes taking over from what was there already. That happened a lot in the uh, Ottoman Empire. And that's why we call it the Ottoman Empire slash the Turkish Empire. Yeah, yeah there's like the Sel... There's different types of Turks as well. There's the Seljuk Turks, I think is what they're called. Right. The, um, the Ottoman Empire was, in 1850, deceptively, deceptively strong. I mean, the reason why we talk about its decline and its fall is that... If you look at the Napoleonic Wars, for example, where mm. Napoleon invaded Egypt yes. and he did so relatively easy and he didn't really consider what the Ottomans would do, the fact that he was able to do that, if you contrast but that to 200 Napoleon years before... Napoleon at the time was like revolutionary. He was beating people left, right and centre. Well, yeah, so. well, that's, that is true. But at the same time, if that was the Ottoman Empire that was as strong as it was 200 years before, where nobody messed with it at all... And even though even though it wasn't able to break the siege of Vienna, which I'll get to a bit later on, mm. even though it wasn't able to do that in the late seventeenth uh, century, it was still considered a very dangerous force that could like come come back to haunt and Europe at any it, time. It, it was uh, it was um, Muslim, wasn't it? it was, yes, it, it was. was so yeah, it was seen with a bit of fear from the the Christians. Yeah, nations. it was. But that's that's the thing. You see, that's the reason. That's why they they were hoping yeah. they forgot the crusades let's hope they forgot the crusades <laughs> well it wasn't so much that but that the the fact that they were muslim added to their yeah. mysterious mysterious like the Danger, image that yeah. people had of them and um, the decline of the ottoman empire is widely seen by historians i'm not going to quote them because i don't have them in my head but it's widely seen as any period from 1700 on um okay. from then on you, you see the the expansion of the russian empire and as as a consequence of that, the influence of the Ottoman Empire starts to wane. And now, are are they are they uh, are they under like siege? Are there rebellions happening? Are people uprising against? Not so, a, a not so much poor system. In is... from the from about seventeen hundred to eighteen hundred, there wasn't so much that there was revolts or anything like that. Right. It was just that everyone right. around them seemed to be getting stronger. Okay. Um, so in about yeah in about the 19th century then you had more nationalist movements like the greeks is a very good example and we'll right. get into the greeks more a bit right. later on and but, of course the the germans at the time they were the yeah. nationalism was starting to take off yeah well. and That's even even in eastern 20 years europe before 20 years before german unification yeah it was yeah so um, bismarck's running around well i'm not exactly sure if bismarck i don't think bismarck is in as much he's definitely yeah, not he's in as probably much power. just 20 and running around going i'm gonna become amazing when i'm older yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like no you won't <laughs> yes, yes i will um the Ottoman Empire in the 19th century starts to become plagued then by the double problem of both stronger countries outside its borders, like Russia, for example, mm-hmm. and also the internal problems of revolts, such as the Greek one. Right. And the, that's a double problem as well. Within a double problem, 
because not only are the Greeks revolting, yes. but the Russian czars are claiming that because those Greeks are Orthodox Christians, that the Russian czars have to support those Orthodox Christians living in Greece. And the Greeks were successful in doing so, which makes the Ottomans look very poor. Yeah, like, and that... The, the English yeah. at the time were able to maintain very close vigil over the Irish yeah. and their uh, American states. Mm. Well, no... Well, 1776 America. was when, but even even so, like yeah. that, yeah. I mean, the the everyone was well. I don't want to say everyone because that's a generalization. Yeah. But the Ottomans had had their empire for so long; it was starting to decline now. Just right. when others like Britain and even France and, of course, Russia were making empires elsewhere, yeah. And they were by no means reducing themselves in influence, except maybe for France, um, which I'll get into a bit later. Okay. No prejudice against the French, though. No. Wonderful people. Different culture to ours, though. Yeah. It's just it. Okay, um, I want to talk about Austria a bit now. Oh, okay. Yes, Austria, It's it's got, I was looking at some of the maps, it's got its borders right on the... Um, um, Austria was in a very strategic position, and actually at one stage during the Danube campaign, the Russians were moving down through Eastern Europe, trying to convince the, the, the countries, the modern-day states of, say, Bulgaria, Yeah. Um, they were trying to convince that to revolt against Ottoman rule. Um, right. it, was only, okay. it was only when... The Austrians started moving an army. At one stage, they had two hundred and eighty thousand men on their border with um, with the Ottoman provinces. Yeah, and that and once the Eastern European countries showed no signs of wanting to break away from the Ottoman yoke, that was when Russia decided to re- withdraw a bit more. Um, Russia was initially hoping to flip all the countries that had been under Ottoman domination in Eastern Europe. They were hoping to flip them over to either either to their side. Or to create such a hostile environment that the Ottomans would have to abandon it and lose a lot of influence right, there. Okay. Because don't forget, the Ottoman Empire stretched not just like not just in as far as India and stuff, but also into like a- along the Danube. Like they had Trajan's Wall there was was considered part of their borders. I mean, right. that's as far as the Russians reached, and they besieged a few cities. I can't remember one of the names of the one of them was one one of the cities that they besieged anyway. They were besieging that city and then they broke off when they realized that the nationalism wasn't strong enough in that area for for it was in Bulgaria. They realized that the Bulgarians didn't want independence enough to rebel against the Ottomans. And then there was the added threat of Austria, which was the original point, was that the Austrians played such a pivotal role that they convinced the Russians to move away. Now, the the Austrians, um, they they recently came into Hungary. They they were... Yeah, the the Hungarian revolt is interesting. I want to get into it a bit because it it helps to explain why the Russians thought they had Austria as a firm ally. In 1848, the Hungarians, who were part of of the Austrian Empire, which stretched far into Eastern Europe and bordered the Ottoman provinces over the Danube, that the Hungary, which was then part of Austria, revolted um, and tried to seek its own independence. Right. And it had done this before... Um, it had done this before, I think during the Seven Years' War, if that's right. I'm not not 100% sure, but it had done that before. Mm. Um, but this time, it, it, Austria was very very much at a disadvantage, and it really relied on the on the aid given by Russia, who okay. who helped to put the so rising down. They, they owed them one. They were like, yeah. these guys, we bought them out in the last 10 years. They're definitely going to side with us. Yeah. So then Austria just flips straight away. The yeah. second... Uh, France and Britain, who are making a huge amount of clamor about yeah. the destruction of the the uh, the Ottomans' Black Sea fleet, yeah, um, 
they just flip straight away. Is yeah, that, is that it, due to the British propaganda, or is it, it is advantageous it's, it's, to? It's a few things, really. Okay. I mean, there was there was the there was the general idea that hadn't been fully accepted yet in Austria that the fall of the Ottoman Empire would be a bad thing. For a while, it was only it was only a few. It was only a few states like Britain and France who genuinely believed that if the Ottoman Empire was to fall, then that would be bad. But it was only when Austria came to the realization that if the Ottoman Empire fell and Russia took over from what the Ottoman Empire had, even if it just took over the straits like the Dardanelles and capitalized on the trade monopoly there, how much stronger that would have made Russia. And even though you might say, oh, well, Austria and Russia are allies, so that doesn't really matter. But if your ally is way, way stronger than you, you might find after a while it's not as much of a friendly ally as it was anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a very one-sided relationship. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to start demanding things you don't yeah, want to give like, it. I'm protecting you now. It's like, well, we're not a part of you. Yeah. Well, you better listen to what I'm going to say. It, yeah. We're way bigger than you and we could take you if we want. Mm. Austria probably had the biggest impact in the war like in terms of the countries that didn't declare war Austria definitely had the biggest impact right so for all the neutral nations yeah they were were huge oh by far yeah I mean Austria this is very much strategic diplomacy on the part of Austria it was making sure like it was basically doing adopting a British policy yeah it was but it was yeah but the thing is you see the British policy was very much being seen as a European policy right the the idea that the Ottomans had to be propped up became pretty much the policy of Europe yeah once once um because can you imagine if, if Russia took there, they would exactly. have just spread the whole way yeah. down. Yeah, I mean, who's to say the they would have been... Empire. Yeah, who's to say they would have been stopped? That's yeah. a lot of containment they've well, been feeling. Yeah, I mean, you could say poor Russia, but at the same time, the Tsars always knew what they were doing. Right. As soon as Peter the Great had emerged from the Great Northern War of the early... Of the se- of 1700 to 1721, as soon as Sweden had been defeated in Scandinavia, right. that basically left Russia as the dominant power in, in not only Eastern Europe, but also Scandinavia as well. Right. There was very little to stop it. And once the Napoleonic Wars had ended, that was when Britain and France really realized, hold on a minute, there's another entity here. Yeah, it's not have, just the two of us. They have the resources to pull. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they still had massively underdeveloped resources. They still had serfdom, which I said. So that made them seem backward, but because of their size, they had the largest land army in Europe. That's so they were very much they yeah. were very much feared, not just in Britain and France, but in Austria to a lesser extent because they were allies, but also mm. in Prussia as well. Yeah, and I'm sure the Ottomans were aware of their power. Oh, definitely, well. yeah, because the Ottomans began to decline the same time the Russians started to go right up. Yeah, when the uh, Russians destroyed the fleet, was that yeah. the declaration of war? No, that wasn't the. De- the Russians destroyed the Turkish fleet in the Black Sea on November thirtieth, eighteen fifty three. That was the, pretty much the wake up call, not just for Britain and France, who had already kind of planned to declare war at some stage, but also for Austria, who then realized that not only was the Ottoman Empire open to the kind of exploitation that Britain and France were fearing, but also that it really kind of hit home the point to Austria that the Ottomans, if they were defeated, it would be bad yeah, for everyone. it would. That, that's it. So it was pretty much a key moment. I mean, if you were Russian and you're destroying your enemy's fleet, that might seem like a good thing. But in the yeah. grand scheme of things, it was catastrophic because yeah. it really did... It should have been a coordinated assault where they had just like swept in all at once instead of... Yeah. Knocking out one pillar at a mm. time. Because yeah. you knock out one pillar and everyone else wants to keep the structure mm. from collapsing. Yeah. They're going to get in there and, and keep it up. Mm. There. So you, you know. can't you can't blame the Russians for acting in the war as they did. Mm. But at the same time, European power politics was just completely changing. Like nationalism was changing things too much for yes. anyone to really keep mm. track of it. And this would become especially apparent in the Austrian in the Austrian Empire 
once the Austrians start to see exactly how bad it can be when their um, Balkan territories start to revolt. Now, um, the, this is the Austria that's so powerful. It's mm. It at the moment is the, the image of Germany like uh, as a Germanic state. Yeah. Um, so Prussia doesn't really play any uh, major important roles. No, but at the same time, it is definitely, it's definitely arising. Like I'd say, I'd say this is just me say, thinking aloud, but I'd say yeah. that the vast majority of Europe had their eye on Prussia. Especially yeah, because as, after after the Napoleonic Wars, it's it would anyone would have anyone would be be forgiven for thinking, oh, that's the end of Prussia because they've been defeated by Napoleon yes, so thoroughly. Yes. Instead of instead of it being defeated though, and instead of it languishing in like a really bad state, it started to grow in power and influence, probably due to the general decline of the Austrians, who really declined as well after the Napoleonic Empire. Right. Yeah. Even though they were still taking on. Well, yeah, I mean, they were, uh, but, and, yeah, they were, but, but they, of course, they were being assisted by Russia. Yeah, okay. that just shows you how how far the Austrians have gone that yeah. they had to be helped by Russia. Mm. So that was a that was kind of a snowballing effect. Those German states who had previously been aligned, at least at least in theory, to Austria, now started to see more of an idea, not just not just of safety, but also the general idea of a German state. Yeah. That seemed to be more of a possibility with Prussia. Yeah. So they start to ally themselves with Prussia, and thus that's where you get the Northern German Confederation. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I like how we started in uh, the Ottoman Empire and mm, slowly worked our way towards yeah. the other side of Europe. <laughs> uh, yes, so France and Britain, they declare war in... Uh, On March 28th, 1854, they right. declare war as a result of the ultimatum that they had sent. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are not being upheld, right? And so, like, if you're a Russian, you look at this and you go, "Well, that's just ridiculous." Yeah. Well, what I do mean, you expect us to? Yeah, do? I know. I mean, but at the same time, they had hoped. It was kind of, it was all. It was kind of like reverse psychology. They had wanted, they wanted Russia to ref- refuse so yeah. that they could appear as not the aggressors, but someone coming to the justice right. of, of so Turkey. A noble crusade, almost. Almost, yeah. 
but at the same time the terms were completely ridiculous mm. but unless you put them into the context of the balance of power that Britain's often trumpeted um, because at this stage Russia was definitely violating that that idea because yeah. it was just too strong and too powerful and it had to be taken down a peg as what I said Austrians don't declare war but no. they move troops against yeah. Russia yeah it's what those troops suggest that really okay. repelled Russia from it not the fact that they were at war but the mm. fact that if they declared war and sent those troops against us when we're like in the thick of battle how catastrophic that would be for yeah. our planning yeah I mean it it really is the, the utmost of betrayal from from Austria that's yeah. really disappointing for the Russians <laughs> it is because they like they, they seem completely alone in Europe now yeah they do I want to get into the suffering of the soldiers a bit. I know I didn't really talk about okay, Florence Nightingale. I, I didn't. I didn't know there was even. Oh the yeah. Soldiers were suffering. Oh, com- horrendously! Like okay. the, the Crimean War is famous because it was so badly carried out. And um, famous for Florence Nightingale. Yeah, well, Florence Nightingale is famous for like making the sufferings of the soldiers so clear. Like right. she she brought attention to the fact that the soldiers were dying of dysentery and cholera, so and they weren't were, even dying of no more people died from disease than actual warfare, which wow. is the awful yeah, which is the awful thing. That's that what made terrible. yeah. And that's, was was that equal on both Russian and Ottoman sides? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it's probably because you know the Russians they're a little bit backwards and the mm. Ottomans are in decline. Now yeah. was it true of the Austrians as well that were just camped on the. Uh, Camped on the border. I'm not so sure about that. I'd say they'd probably have facilities. Yeah, they've they've got all of the the mm. manufacturing and industry that the Germans have yeah. to offer. So it was just badly carried out. Really, mm. the entire war. Like even I went into it a bit. The sea journey from Britain to Varna, which is on the east the, coast, the, the west coast of the British Black sea. and French troops were also suffering. Oh yeah, they were completely oh, like British British troops suffered horrendously in this war. Um, yeah, the one, different climate. Oh everything. yeah, like obviously they were given no time to acclimatize. So once they landed, then they were suddenly faced with this different climate, which brought it with it loads of diseases. And yeah, I mean there was yeah there was one stage where they were camped, um so so close together that the 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 cholera and the dysentery just spread like wildfire. Oh my god! So they moved them to a nearby lake, and of course everyone caught malaria. That's absolutely <laughs> yeah. Terrible. So it was just a, and not only that. But it was this was compounded by the fact that their their commanders were like the landed gentry. They right. weren't there. So they had absolutely no heart for the men. No, not only did they have no heart, but they had no idea of strategic initiative or anything like that. Right. They needed someone to plan. Their exactly. Camps, yeah. And that they, just didn't happen. Yeah. The British soldiers were being commanded, and the French in part as well. But the British are more famous for this because of the sales of military commissions. Like if you had the money. You could yeah. get promoted just by the fact that you had money and you were willing to buy um, the ranks. Now, this is interesting because you might be wondering, oh, why did the British do that when it was so obviously going to kick them back in the face? But if you think about what the British had just been through, the, the one thing that they seemed to remember from the Napoleonic Wars was not how bad war was, but how those dangerous ideas had festered themselves. And because those dangerous ideas had been there and all the people at the head of the French army had agreed with them, then that revolution was able to succeed. The idea was that if you get aristocrats to head armies, then if a revolution comes along, those aristocrats aren't going to agree with that revolution. Of course. So Absolutely. they won't lead those that troops. That makes a lot of sense. But, but uh, aristocrats aren't designed no. to lead armies. Exactly, yeah. I was, like I said it I said it in the in the episode. Mm. Only six of them went to the Royal Military Academy in oh Sanders. That means I don't know the exact number, but obviously it was in the high hundreds, the amount of people that ended up being generals and oh stuff who would absolutely know no amount of command at all. Uh, I'm sure they had aides that were very well qualified as Yeah, soldiers, well they would have had aides, but when it comes down to it, 
the guy in the fancy uniform makes the decisions, and if those decisions are absolutely awful, yeah, oh my goodness, then... so it just sounds it sounds catastrophic. Yeah. That, um... That that should be the case. Yeah, it it's, it sounds. I said it's it, it sounds almost hilarious if it wasn't so tragic. Yeah. Um. Like that's what that's where you get the charge of the light brigade, right. because a, a breakdown in communications and was that the the six hundred uh six hundred horsemen straight into the teeth of yeah guns cannons on on they ran down a mile long valley. Um. Lord Raglan, right? Let's just set the scene first. Lord yeah. Raglan gave the order to Lord Lucan, who was meant to pass the order on to Lord Cardigan. Now, Lord Lucan and Lord Cardigan didn't like each other at all, so when Lord Lucan passed the order that he'd been given by Lord Raglan to advance up the valley and attack the Russian positions, Lord Cardigan was like, what are you saying? There's loads of cannons there. And Lord Lucan said, well, that's not my fault. He just told me to go and attack those cannons, so go and attack them. So Lord Cardigan, instead of debating this, decided that he wasn't going to talk to the guy Lord Lucan, because he didn't like Lord Lucan. So what ended up happening was, even though Lord Cardigan knew that it was a really, really dangerous thing to do, he still attacked the positions. Lord Lucan <sighs> knew that it was so dangerous because <laughs> because they've been like... doing they've been doing reconnaissance there, and they knew very well that the cannons were there. You know, I think I think this is like drama that that should end up on the big screen. Yeah, like, exactly. Seriously. I mean, the... we have Big Brother and stuff. That yeah. is Big Brother yeah. in the extreme. The it's plight like... of the soldiers, though, who are the the common private or whatever, who was at the mercy of this guy, Lord Cardigan or Lord Lucan, who who because of their personal rivalry and hatred for each other, wouldn't even talk out the possibilities of another option or anything it was just attack that position awful. at the end of the valley that's awful surrounded on all sides by cannons what do you expect to happen and thus like a horrendous a horrendous it was so awful like the amount of people that died just because these two wouldn't talk to each other and talk it out properly terrible yeah um, that's why the light charge of the light brigade is held up and the Crimean War as well it's the last war where people can buy commissions after the Crimean War the British learned their lesson and they abolished that yeah but oh my goodness thankfully otherwise yeah. it would have gotten far worse especially like, with World War One. well I mean World War One was still like, yeah it was I'm still sure, very bad yeah. but at least those maybe if they had generals yeah. that were actually you know constantly training the yeah. war through the last century they, mm. they might have had better tactics but yeah that little lapse in in mm development of tactics by having yeah um morons yeah. Or lords to, to <laughs> mm. take care of the armies that might have actually have caused the first world war to be so atrocious yeah i mean you saw i don't want obviously we're not going to talk about the first world war too Though much. we love it yeah we do love it and it is definitely an episode to come in the future mm-hmm. um after the boer war though. yeah everyone seems to really want the boer war as well it's only because the that was the last time the British and the Irish really fought alongside each other. <laughs> and against the Dutch as well, basically. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into... Oh, I want to talk about the Schleswig-Holstein uh, incident in 1848, which I, I did mention briefly, but um, I want to just get into a bit now, because 1848 is a pretty important year. Not only did you have the Revolution of Hungary, but you also had this event, which happened in southern Denmark, Right. where Prussia and its northern confederation of allied German states wanted to expand and take on as right. many German-speaking states as possible. So, so they tried to get... Denmark. Yeah, they tried to get this place in southern Denmark. And okay. because that would have involved holding on to those straits, that would have made it so powerful, the Russians and the British were able to cooperate and were able to say, no, don't do that, which is unusual because yeah. six years later they'd be at war. 
the it's just the the balance thing that yeah the balance of power this was the one thing britain and russia seemed to agree on that they didn't want someone like prussia controlling the straits the straits that i'm talking about are in scandinavia where a lot of trade would pass through mm, yeah i mean saint petersburg at this stage which was the capital not moscow and saint petersburg was in the baltic so any trade that would have to go to saint petersburg would have to get through the straits that prussia was trying to control so that obviously had to be stopped at all costs. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Like that, that would that would have hampered the Russians yeah. a lot. But the reason why that's so important is because in 1848, once Britain and Russia team up to take on and repel the idea that Prussia had that it wanted to take Sleewig Holstein, once they did that, Prussia got very upset about that wall that had been and, put up. And uh, that's when Prussia starts to feel alone and starts looking for allies. Yeah, and that is why it does, That is why it turns to Austria, But even though it will turn on Austria in a few years' time. But the reason why it's so important is because Prussia is seen as a non-entity in this war because it has an issue not only with Russia because of what Russia did, but also with Britain because of what Britain and Russia did together. Right. So it becomes a neutral, which is more concerned with expanding its influence over Germany far more than what uh, Russia or Turkey or Britain or France are doing in the Dardanelles right. or in the Black Sea. Okay. And you, you might be thinking, oh, why is that important? What could Prussia possibly do? But if you think about like how history, they say, like hangs on a knife edge, if Prussia had sent 100,000 soldiers, say they were on the side of the Russians, for example, for whatever reason, if they were, that's just, this is just speculation, obviously, yeah, but say yeah. they were, what would have happened? Would would the would the Danube been overcome by the combined uh, Prussia Russian well, force? You've, you've got the uh, <laughs> it's a double double sided. So you've got the Germans who are the Prussians who would be fighting the Austrians, yeah. the Austrians who'd be fighting the Russians, yeah. and and the French who'd be fighting the yeah. Prussians. So and, it would be yeah. a double double sided. Another thing to consider war, is so. if Prussia ended up going into the war on on the side of Russia, which was more likely than going in the side of Britain. Because Britain wasn't happy with the way Prussia was conducting itself, especially with right. respect to Hanover, right. which was a former um, monarchy province, because that's where all the previous kings had come from. Right, and that's that's who was currently ruling Britain was a Hanover guy. I'm or not sure. I'm not. No, this was earlier in this in the 18th century, from about yeah. 1710, I think, onwards. Um, Britain was ruled by Hanoverian monarchs, but. Right, I yeah. st- they still felt a certain level, level of attachment and Prussia's idea that it had to control as many German-speaking lands as possible, which would actually re-manifest itself later on with Hitler, if you want to see that, yeah. with all his spe- German-speaking people. Um, the idea, if it went, if Prussia went on the side of Russia, then Austria wouldn't have been able to allow that because they mm. would have felt threatened by Prussia and, and Russia combining their strength. Yeah. So it would have become not just a localised war, but a world war, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And a world war at that time yeah. with the, the poor sanitation. Yeah, that, that it would have were... been absolutely catastrophic. Yeah. And who's to say what would have happened in that war? I mean, obviously, the speculation's kind of getting out yes, of hand this at this is stage. really, really out of hand. Yeah, but, but I, I do think it's interesting to think yeah, of these things. Yeah, like, just... who's to say there would have been a World War One if so many people had died in that resulting speculated conflict like, <laughs> exactly yeah and then that might have just neutralized world war Two completely well yeah i mean i often say that without world war one there would be no world war Two because hitler wouldn't have been able to capitalize on the anger of the people and then without brismark there'd be no world war one either yeah i mean like german unification could have happened earlier or even later because yeah, if yeah, Austria had been exactly. if Austria had it been strengthened it would have happened anyway yeah. anyway we're getting into yeah. we're getting into our previous podcast yeah. it's just so interesting yeah. we love talking about we it we really do and um, we could talk about it for ages yeah, obviously we love Prussia um, Prussia if you are Prussian please contact us <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Um, yeah, literally could talk about this for hours. So when does the uh, the actual conflict on land in in the Ottoman and Russian conflicts end? Okay, well the the peace treaty is signed on. Uh, I think it's the 30th of March, 1856, is when the Treaty of Paris is signed. And after right. that, then everyone okay. is at peace. The, Sar- um, the, the British, the French... And is this the peace that, um, that lasts all the way up to the yes, German with, with the, unification with, war? Yeah, with, yeah. The, obviously, the peace is broken in Europe with that war, with the Franco-Prussian War. But other than that, right. it lasts pretty much unchanged until World War I, right. which means Russia is pretty much unchanged. Um, although... Subsequent, like little little collapses, smaller scale collapses in yeah. the in the Ottoman Empire, means that those those provinces along the Danube. It's just, it's, it's so interesting to think that yeah. if if the Ottomans weren't propped up, they wouldn't have been a player in the first. No, war not at all. all. Not at all. It's this was really a stay of execution for them. This entire war was. Yeah. Um. But if, like, you'll see it eventually. The reason why. Austria is so unstable going into World War One is because it absorbs all the territories right. from the Ottomans okay. along the Danube, which were at that stage vying for more nationalist ideas than they had been in 1850. Because okay. nationalism by 1914 was a lot more prevalent than it had been in 1850. Okay, so the the fighting on land, the fighting on land ends on the March on March 30th, uh, 1856, and once that's once that's over, then mm. there is the general idea that things are going to change. I mean, we can see them change just 15 years later in the Franco-Prussian War yeah. when this whole new state of Germany is created and that changes everything drastically mm. with respect to Russia and France and, and Austria. And were Britain. those straits so pivotally important that it it, it required that war? Like the, the, Dardanelles. the Dardanelles. Yeah, well, it wasn't so much the straits. Like, obviously, they obviously the straits were important because and of the they trade were, they controlled. They were a good excuse. Yeah, they were a good excuse, but they should have just given it to the Dutch. Then no one would mess with us. <laughs> like, seriously. Um. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if the Dutch would actually be able to support. But that's a completely other issue. Yeah. I mean, well, um, I mean, the the Dutch they weren't able to support their American colonies, but mm. they. I mean, you give them somewhere that can profit them a lot yeah, that'd be a very things. very random land grab if yeah, the Dutch just yeah. arrive at the Dardanelles well that's the thing the Ottomans <laughs> no one would expect it and then they'd be like boom it's ours now yeah. no one would question it they'd be like well the Netherlands we're gonna we're gonna go to well would you like us to stop trading with you oh wow that is a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of pushing power you yeah. got there in Netherlands <laughs> yes it is so you better let us keep it mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean well you, you look at like um the years following the the Crimean War, yeah, and really, the Ardennes just yeah, the Dar- yeah. I mean, obviously, Turkey continues to own continues to own the Dardanelles and because obviously of Istanbul. It's, it's going to be favored toward or have favored towards the British and French, so their trade is going to flourish there. Yes, um, which is why uh, which is why it is strange that the um, the Ottomans turn. And join the Central Powers in World War One, but that, that is, is that is also because they still harbored a grudge against Russia, and Russia was a part of the Allied okay, Powers. Right. So if you look at it like that, it's all diplomacy, folks. It really it is. is. And diplomacy, uh, like it's, it seems pretty simple now. We're yeah. all friends, but mm. um, it just shows how quickly alliances can flip flop as well. Yeah. The way in the space of fifty years, the alliances have completely changed. Yeah. Apart from Britain and France. Um, well, of course, this is a different. This is going into World War One, but like it just shows how much things can change. Yeah, exactly. And 
the 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 French and the British were allied at yeah. the time of mm. the the so it yeah. wasn't too odd for them to do that. Well, like actually, the age-old enemy became the one-time yeah. stand friend. You actually see this happen. The Crimean War is the greatest example, but you see this happen in a lot of the smaller colonial wars, especially which ones like in China. But there's a pretty important one in China. Yeah, there is the lesser-known ones that happen in the 1860s, but there's also the Boxer Rebellion. In right. the in the early nineteen hundreds, that are that's pretty brutal. Um, but if you look if you look at the way Britain and France conduct themselves in this war, it seems almost incredible that after so long fighting each other, um, they suddenly turn on and be they suddenly decide to be allies. But I'm sure it's something to do with the aristocracy commanding the armies. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they were pretty good friends. Well, yeah, well you could say that, but it's I'm also just going to go pop over to Paris and <laughs> drink some of their wine. I'll be back in a moment. Yeah. Oh. Look at that, I need to get on my ship so I can go fight a war. Sorry! (laughs) Well, it's a sign, yeah, I mean, it's a sign of the way things are changing, especially once Germany... Sorry for the really poor English accent. Yeah. Um, I I apologise for our English... Well, some people think that we're we're British anyway, so... Well, okay, no, that's fine. (laughs) You know what, I'll I'll stick to it. Um, Okay, well, we're coming to the end of the episode now. Is there anything anything you'd like to add at all? Um, You got the floor is entirely yours. Okay, well, the... The conflict seems a little bit futile, mm. but uh, at the same time, it's good. It's it's it was necessary. It yeah. was something that the the French and the British needed to do to mm. keep the Ottomans in the picture mm. for another fifty years, sixty years. It was successful. Yeah, like for that, it was successful. Yeah. Um, and it just dissolved once uh, the French and the British had to fight it. Yeah. It was gone. It, exactly. It lost yeah. all of its support. I mean, I often think of the of the Crimean War in my head, like I label it in my head as a very pointless war, but one which whose impl- implications yeah. Yeah, had drastic up, effects yeah. on the future of exactly. Europe. Exactly. It set up the grudge that yeah. the Ottomans would be willing to sacrifice its support for to fight against the Russians. Yeah. So it's very important. It's an important war in in terms of its consequences, but not in terms of what people actually fought for. And I'm sure wars fought after that had a bit more planning and a bit more sanitary, like... Oh, thinking, they did, yeah. because people learned their lessons. Yes, but the chemistry revolution, where we started developing drugs and penicillin... <laughs> really? And oh, the, yeah, of course, yeah, for, yeah. For the First World War, yeah. so uh, after that... Mm. Um, well... Obviously not during the 1850s. No. But, you know, once you get to the First World War, yeah, when they're there, fighting yeah, out more... There is a general desire to find better better medical treatments is, for it's soldiers. Which is good to see. It's, yeah, it is good, good to, to see. see. I mean, you could you could see it as a positive of the war that diseases like tuberculosis were able to be cured because of the search, exactly. for, the so, search for better medicine. Okay, so thank you all for listening, and thank you very much, Sean, for joining me yes, again. Thank you for listening to our ramblings. Yes, <laughs> they won't seem nearly as bad now because they've been edited out. But okay. I assure you, there were plenty of ramblings in there. I'd just like to remind you one more time to join the Facebook group, which is really growing. History podcasts in capital letters. He's going to link it in the description. I am actually going to link it in the description because I just had enough, and I want people there. <laughs> So, we're going to take our leave now. You've been listening to When Diplomacy Fails. I am Zach. And I'm Sean. Sure. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.